Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello, and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today, we're here with Adam Lyons. Adam Lyons is an acquisition entrepreneur extraordinaire. This guy is a CEO of multiple companies, advisor to multitudes of other entrepreneurs, and an absolute rock star. I'm honored to have you on the show today, man. I'm really excited to have you here today. Matt, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's going to be, uh, going to be fun. Yeah, it's not too many times I get uh, on the on the show, and I, you know, you know, the guy in the background's got you know his two comic club awards and all the other stuff. And you've just been around and done a lot of stuff, and and had a lot of accomplishments, helping a lot of people. Um, I've taken some uh, coaching and advising where you're, you know, I got you know pay for one guru, but you're in the middle of this helping us, coaching us, and having meetings. So I'm I'm glad to have you here, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I I, I realize you align yourself with people that are actually where you want to be if you want to end up getting there. So. I've blessed the last eight years of my life. I've I've spent around the right people, and uh, it's got me to a position that I'm I'm pretty proud of so far. And I'm nowhere near the end of my journey, you know. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I do the show, man. I get to hang out with some really awesome freaking people. So, uh, <laughs> hey, let's just start off. How did you get into this space? I, you know, yeah, I was reading your profile a little bit. Uh, I kind of I kind of got the background, but let's share it with the audience. Like, I always joke around. It's like you know, you were born, you ended up on my show. Could you fill in the gap in between? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I was a janitor. And, um, you know, that's pretty much how I got started in life. My dad was a janitor. His dad was the caretaker on a ship in the Navy. So like, that's kind of in England that you'd kind of do what your parents do, unless you, you know, completely deviate. And uh, at 26 years old, I was sitting at the janitorial desk, and I was reading about dating. And I ended up becoming um, a, a dating coach, I ended up being actually one of the top dating coaches in the world. And um, I, I'm never going to forget the day that I uh, got awarded number one dating coach in the world at this event I went to in Hollywood. I couldn't pay my mortgage. And it's kind of shocking to be an expert at something and then realize you got no money. And meanwhile, there are all these guys that I knew were no good at dating that were making far more money than me because they were good at marketing. So um, I started learning marketing and following you know, the, the kind of people um, that, that learn from the kind of people that learn from the kind of people you probably want to learn from, you know, like the, the ones I could afford. And uh, I worked my way up and eventually I find myself um, being equal to people I'd hired to teach me. And um, they said, I can't help you anymore. You need to go to the guy I learned from. His name's Roland Frazier. And so I signed up for anything Roland was teaching, thinking that anything's better than nothing. And it ended up being a course on acquisitions that I had no idea what I was doing. I just wanted to learn from this guy. So um, honestly, the first time I learned acquisitions, I had no interest in doing acquisitions. Um, and then three months later, I found myself in a deal that um, I was trying to get regular leads. I was trying to negotiate where they would send me their leads. And uh, they were in the middle of an acquisition. And instead, there was an opportunity to take ownership in the company. And because I'd gone through this weekend of training, I just, you know, put myself out there and, and did it and ended up with 50% of this company. And after that, I was like, man, I just gained access to 150,000 qualified leads. Not only do I have access to them, I own 50% of them and I can keep 50% of the revenue. 
from there, I was hooked. That was mm. better than, than buying ads. That was better than begging for leads it, it, and like, you know, doing an affiliate thing. This was great. Just started acquiring companies. Um, it didn't take long for me to realize that I liked doing that a lot more than I liked doing dating. And so um, I still own my dating company, but it's one of 16 companies that I own. Uh, in the last three years, I have helped grow, scale, buy, sell 1,900 companies either on behalf of myself or uh, clients that have paid to learn from me or Roland or, or one of our associates who I've then been brought on to help actually do the deal. And I've got to a point where I'm now uh, addicted to wanting to see the guts of a company. And I'm more than happy to help so that I can see what goes on because the more my knowledge increases, the better it is and easier it is for me to help other companies and my own. So I get to benefit from that. So yeah, that's what I do. It's interesting. The only thing I have in the dating space is uh, two things. Uh, when I when I got married, my wife said, you can throw these books away because I actually had like Neil Strauss, I think it was his name, the, the book he had yeah. on like on their on the um pickup artists and stuff like that. And I was like, you don't understand. I didn't buy the books for that. I've never had a problem with that. I bought them because the human psychology it takes to attract another person is the same it takes to market market. So just understanding what they were doing and how it played out and the psychology about behind it was really intriguing to me. And I still have them around here somewhere. And the so wife's been married for the, 15 years. They're on the shelf behind me. <laughs> That's like the wife's like, I thought I seen them. I was like, the wife's like, you've been married for 15 years. You really don't need this. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, it's, it's a marketing book. It's, it's, it's a little dark marketing book, depending on how you look at it. Right. You know, you know, uh, but it's in, in the essence of anything, it's truly a marketing book. So, well, actually, a lot of people don't realize that um, Frank Kern, who's regarded as one of the original experts when it comes to internet marketing, um, Frank Kern um, launched a program called Mass Control, where the case yep. study was on yep. Neil Strauss's workshop. That's how I found what, out about it. Yeah. Okay. Which is fascinating because I was involved in that original deal from the dating side of it because the guy that, um, that put the deal together between Frank and Neil was the guy that voted me number one in the world. That was the first time I was I was recognized while that was all going on. I was right there um, in the middle of it. And not the first time because Evan Pagan, one of the, you know, again, original founding people of, uh, of internet marketing was David D'Angelo, which was double your dating. And I, I could go on and on about how many marketers got their roots in dating and then moved into traditional dating. Another one's Ty Lopez who started in dating. And then really? I knew through dating. Oh yeah. Ty Lopez, he made his original millions from dating sites and then used that. I was actually in his house when he filmed that I'm in my garage video. Uh, I was <laughs> upstairs. Um, and that was my first acquisition was a uh, half of a company that Ty was letting go. So one of my biggest, I don't know if I want to say this on the podcast. Uh, one of the biggest <laughs> losses I've ever taken in my life is I came out of my master's degree, my MBA thinking I was hot shit, right? And I've got a master's degree in marketing. I'm going to do something with, it. I'm going to do my own thing. And I had some money saved up and, um, you know, through 401k stock options stuff from the dot-com world when I was in there. So I created an online dating service called, uh, honestyfirst.com. I got featured, yes. uh, as a, I was mentioned in a couple of articles like in Wall Street. I mean, I was getting people talking about it because we were keeping people honest in the profile. And then I was out raising funds for my next run of marketing. I get, kept getting told by VCs that we really don't have a business. You have a software product. You probably should, you know, take your patent. I had a pending patent and some other stuff. So you'd probably take that and, 
and uh you know license it to these other guys and i just didn't listen and um i spent high six figures let's put it that way uh not quite seven figures but uh high six figures trying to get this thing going and uh unfortunately was the most valuable lesson i ever ever learned is you can't sell or market something they don't want so uh i actually had did i can't say who but i pitched two of the biggest online dating services out there, the software after these VCs told me, and I was thinking about shutting it down anyway. Uh, it's a chicken and egg problem. I couldn't get enough people on. Nobody wants to be the first lonely soul on a dating site. Right. And, uh, and I didn't, I didn't have enough funds to kind of just mass market this thing. Like eHarmony, I was out doing rounds of funding when eHarmony just had got like $110 million. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't asking for anywhere near that. And they're like, we're not going to fund you and have you go up against them. And the uh, funny thing is I pitched two of those big guys and they're like, hey, look, we've already thought about this. And we, we surveyed our customers. Nobody wants to be kept on us in their profile. And I thought I'd solved a problem. I solved what I refer to as the Mr. Potato Head problem, right? You go out on a date and they kind of look like their profile, but some stuff's been mixed around and moved around and things are in the wrong place, right? So, uh, but yeah, I learned an extremely valuable lesson and that is uh, market fit. You know, and that's what I loved about this acquisition game. You're buying something that you can already see whether or not it has a market fit. You're not spending. I spent two and a half, three years. I had a whole team in India of programmers. I had people all around the world working for me, all remote. And uh, before it was cool, this is like I moved in Oklahoma. I moved in 2007. So this is prior to 2007. Right. And uh, I had remote, you know, people all over the planet Mm -hmm. uh, helping me build this thing. And uh, lesson learned is like. If you don't have a way to test market fit, they can get really expensive. And uh, yeah, so. <laughs> it's, it's actually so funny you say that because that is uh, what I do now. I um, my, my core company that we own is the Smart Blueprint. And mm-hmm. it's the blueprint that we developed for a company to identify um, the demand inside a company and whether we can create it after taking it over. So we'll often buy a company that isn't doing that great knowing that because of the smart blueprint we've already done a market fit analysis and know whether there is demand if it was repositioned and we'll go in reposition a company and and get all the profit i need to check that out because uh one of the few info products i i don't own right uh, in my original before we moved here i actually always do these in my podcast and i always point over to my left there's a there's a bookshelf i had there and i was like that bookshelf right there's about one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars, and that, that's before rollins and all these other courses that was just my real estate stuff right um, but, uh, no, I'm going to check, I'm going to check that out just because my idea right now is, you know, I'm, I'm out there. I own a few businesses. I'm looking for acquisitions, but, uh, like I have my wife and, and some other people wanting to launch a particular product. So I'm not going to, I'm going to find a company in that genre, right. Buy it and make sure they have the fun to test that product out. Cause then it's, you've got revenue. You've got a, you've got an existing customer base. You know, you offer it up, say, hey, who, who's interested in product X, Y, and Z? It looks like this. And if you don't get some pre-orders, you don't have to, like, you don't have to put the six months to a year developing it and, and reaching out. I love the, I love this industry. I love this space. So that is literally, yeah, that's literally what we do now. Um, so we'll do that testing and we know. So it's like, it's great because the company will come in evaluation. Let's just say it comes in at, um, I don't know, like 3 million. But we know that it's operating at, five percent profit but they haven't created an optimized offer and haven't had a new offer for 18 months when this situation we know we can go in 
do a proper market uh, research, what we call a customer insight report, analyze what the demand is, work out how it should be worded, reposition and either identify uh, a new product for, to be developed or sell something that already is there, higher profit, instant revenue. More often than not, we're capable of purchasing the company using the money generated from that new launch, which is uh, insane uh, to think insane, about. Insane, right? Uh, so are you currently in acquisition mode or are you still, uh, are you, I, I was looking at a, a hotel this morning. It's a uh, hot springs in, uh, in Idaho, $7.5 million acquisition. Um, I'm interested in it because it comes with water rights. It's got a, a spring and I, I think water's really hot and will be over the next 10, 20 years. Um, I like the location. Idaho's a, a great location. Uh, Idaho's the number one state that people moved to in the last couple of years. Um, uh, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of friends are in the area, so uh, I have a lot of my properties, my commercial properties, and everything in Texas. I like the idea of having something more north, so that I can have snow if I ever want snow. Um, I assume Idaho has snow. I don't know 100, percent but it feels like it does. Um, you know, as an English person, I don't really know anything about uh, American geography. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I'm, that's what I'm looking at. Uh, I'm looking at this hot springs right now. Um, they offered me 40 percent. Actually, they offered me 50 percent, and I declined and said I want 40 percent, but I want to work a bit less than than they wanted me to. Um, so so yeah, I, I'm I'm always in some kind of acquisition mode. I'm looking at a, um, a 30 million dollar. Um, a package deal of two hotels in Austin as well. Um, and I'm just, I'm in a weird hotel mode right now. I don't know if I'm going to buy one, but I'm, I'm in it and I'm looking at it. Yeah. Um, so we get in those yeah. modes, don't we? I'm in a weird coffee mode. Like I don't even drink coffee. I to test it. I have a gag reflex to the flavor of coffee, <laughs> so but funny. I love I the smell of it. Like and I'm intrigued by the business. Like the people who love coffee, so they could, they could actually be on their last, you know, I just remember, I think it's because my dad, right. My, I grew up, my father had a hot cup of coffee in his hand, whether it was 110 degrees outside or whether it was freezing cold, right? So he drank straight black coffee and he just, he, he, he had his Folgers, right? But people are loyal to coffee. Once you get them as a customer and you're doing them right, if, if you don't make them sick or whatever, they're buying that coffee till the end of, until their last breath, right? So that's the intriguing part of it. But I, I end up in a lot of uh, like I never thought I'd own a pest control company. And one of my relatives begged me to take a look at it. And I told him no for two years. Right. And he, he calls me and said, Hey, Mike, the, the guy I'm working for is retiring. I really like you to take a look at this. And I happened to be, I had just taken an acquisition of mergers, like uh mini thing. Like I was just like an intro type of conversation course, kind of like, uh, kind of like not as long, but something kind of like Roland does. It was like a two hour webinar. So I was intrigued by it. I started looking on business by selling that some of these pest control companies were claiming 30 to 40% profit margin. I was like, there's no way in hell. So I started to research and find out that, yeah, it's possible. So I was like, why am I telling this guy? No. So I ended up, that was my, uh, I bought it. I still own it. I, I have partners in it, but, um, you know, I end up, I say I bought it. We bought the equipment and stuff. It turns out the guy running it, it just wasn't as compliant as he probably should have. So we didn't want his liability stuff. And I didn't know what I know now. So uh, I bought something way too small. That's the other thing I did on that one. But yeah, you end up in industries like how am I? How did I end up on this this kick? But you know, if the business has merit, I don't think the uh, the product is necessarily the like. You don't have to love the product. You just have to know it's a good business and it and it runs right. Yeah, I, I, and that's that's so true. And I think um, like and I've I've consulted for a lot of people. That I'm a bit different. I've got to a point where I make more than enough money that like, I don't really need to 
to work ever again. And so now I only do deals that I'm interested in. So I'm, I'm almost more driven by like, oh, hot springs and snow. Great, I'm in. Whereas, <laughs> you know, if there is something that generates money, I'm, I'm not as, um, as motivated. Uh, but it, again, and it's funny because I was talking to, to some of my friends about this the other day. Um, I'm far more driven by happiness and joy than money at this point. But five years ago, absolutely. It was the exact opposite. It was like, if it makes money, I'm in. And it's just, I think it's just where you are in life. It's um, funny as I have the exact opposite reaction to snow. As a matter of fact, we moved up into the Redwood Forest. I'm in the mountains over here. And my wife's like, you know, we have a tiny home. We can move it anywhere we want to move it, right? Uh, so when we needed to come to California to help take care of family and, and be around family and just uh, to be here, uh, her family, uh, I was like, oh, we're going to have to move pretty soon because I don't want to be up in the mountains when it snows. So I started in the research that every snowfall here in the middle of the mountains is zero. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's no snow. It gets, it's just a mild temperature year around everywhere else. Like, like I leave Oklahoma it's 110 every day. And here it's like 80, 89s are high. I think I've had one day since I've been here is in the nineties, but uh, you know, it doesn't get that cold in the winter either. So, so I have this, the exact opposite, you know, if I, I, if I have to see snow, I expect to be in a hot tub with a glass of wine or a good stiff drink. So, uh, now, yeah, not that I agree with you. Like, uh, yeah, I can do that or like, um, a warm, warm tea you know I mean? yeah hot so, tea yeah tea's a thing yeah i can do that i drink a lot of hot tea <laughs> i love that cool so one of the things i wanted to talk about today is i read an article that you put out on the acquisition um aficionado magazine and uh cool magazine great article you are an out-of-the-box thinker man and that's that's what i love i love that's why i like jay abraham and these guys and um i don't know if you remember um who jay conrad levinstein was uh mm -hmm. the uh, gorilla marketing uh, I yep. was one of his coaches for a while, actually. I was a marketing coach for him. That's and awesome. so I love that low cost, high impact, out of the box thinking, uh, do different things, you know, do things different. So let's chat a little bit about sourcing deals because, man, you have a, a different, um, you know, way of coming up with things to work on. All right. You want to hear what I'm actually doing? Because like what yeah. was in the article was like my suggestion for other people, not what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Okay. So all right, so this is so in, in the article it references a number of different outside of the box methods to acquire businesses. One of them it mentions is uh, classic car shows, and the idea is the kind of person that buys a classic car is somebody who has already made money, is already successful, and often later on in life. We're not talking like eighty, but you know, fifty, sixty, and it's kind of the age you start thinking about retirement, making it an ideal position to go and acquire businesses. You bond over a love of classic cars, which gives you a, a, a mutual rapport and hobby, uh, which, you know, from dating. From that point, you identify what industry you're in. You mentioned that you're acquiring businesses. They mentioned they're thinking about selling and they're not sure what that looks like. You're experienced, you guide them through the process with no intention to buy it, just, hey, this is what it would look like if you were gonna sell, how to go about it, how to get a good value, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end, they say to you, well, what would it take for you to buy it off me? And there you are. You just got your deal. So it's a, a wonderful, wonderful system. So after seeing this happen a few times, um, like less than I could count on my hands. So we're not talking about a lot, but the way my brain works, like you said, I, I like optimizing things. I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I literally got a text message five minutes before we went live. And you said to me, is there something that's hot on your mind? And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get the opportunity to talk about this, but you gave it to me. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, um, I have a problem. I like nice cars and uh, I've bought a few exotic cars. I typically buy Maseratis because I have children. And 
you know, they think of the Maserati as like the family man's Ferrari because you can put, it's got four real seats um, and you can put your kids in it. The problem is a lot of my friends who make similar kind of money to me will buy the newest Lamborghini, Ferrari, McLaren every year. And I just don't like putting in effort for paperwork. It, it's so much effort to buy and sell a car. I, I can't do it. And I have ADHD. I'm going crazy. So I just didn't upgrade my car. I just kept the same car. And I think I upgraded it twice. Meanwhile, all my friends are like, oh, you've still got that same old car you had. And I, I also don't give in to peer pressure. So it didn't affect me. But then it occurred to me that this classic car thing is a great way to get in with businesses. And I do like classic cars. I actually prefer them to, to like brand new cars. So I start thinking, what is like the iconic classic car? And I come to the conclusion it's a Shelby Cobra. Uh-huh. And they sell for like a million bucks, um, a real one. And so I start really thinking outside the box of what I'm going to do. And I find the man who has the current licensing rights to make new Shelby Cobras. Yeah. Now, this, this guy or this company, it's a very small company, it's like five employees. They've got the current license, but they don't have um, the manufacturing licensing, I suppose. So what that means is they can't mass produce cars, not allowed to. Um, nobody can. But they can make one-off custom and they're real. Like it's the actual Shelby Cobra because they've got the license. They've had it for 31 years. Um, but they, they make like three or four cars a year. It's very, very minimal. The cars are unique in that they go up in value, which is phenomenal. Where's this guy at? Um, he's, it's a great question. The company's based in South Africa, oh, but, okay. but they, they have an American office, that a few. I think they've got like one in Florida and one in Detroit or something. Um, I'm, I'm connected I, to – oh, yeah. I was going to say I'm rela- or I was related. My sister's ex-husband uh, – this is a Oklahoma, my sister's ex-husband uh, brother, <laughs> the Oklahoma thing. It's how we tell stories there. He Love had it. one of the licenses. He built the Shelby Cobras in his uh, auto mechanic shop there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I asked him, well, you know, he built two a year or one a year or something. I said, what do those things sell for? He had two or three of them sitting out front. And uh, he said, well, about one hundred eighty dollars to $250,000 is what they actually sold for. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He's I watched the process. I'd stop by. Like, I'd see them up on the lift, and they'd, they'd have the frame, and then they'd put the – I mean, they built these from the ground up, and they're this is authentic. the same company because I'm, I'm looking, and they've got uh, – they, they, they have or had uh, areas in, in Oklahoma. Where it gets interesting is they actually assemble them in different places because they don't have the manufacturing thing. So the, the unique thing is you can't actually buy a car. You have to buy a body or the innards – and then you pay them to assemble it. And it has to be three transactions because they don't have the, they're not legally allowed to sell you a car. They're just allowed to assemble one. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's very unique. And I, I don't fully understand it because that's not the industry that I'm in. Um, I'm just enjoying the process because obviously I'm buying one. Um, and the reason I'm buying one is I found that they made a one-off, very, very unique Shelby Cobra, a, a unique one. They made one that is a Tesla hybrid. Let's just say yeah. yeah. So I've been full- watching all kinds of videos on that lady. P- people taking like really classic cars and turn them into Tesla hybrids. Right. And so they did one with a real. So this is an actual Shelby Cobra with the license. The insides are a Tesla. Modern air conditioning, uh, Apple AirPlay. And 
does not 60 in 1.9 seconds, which is ridiculous. Well, so I contact them and I'm like, I want to buy that car. The one that's in all the YouTube videos, the car, I want that one. And uh, like I said, I've, I'm, I'm blessed enough that I've, I've been successful. I can do that. And they say, no, we're not going to sell you the one we made, you know? And they're like, there are other companies that have, you know, knockoffs, blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, 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 I want that one. So I get chatting to this, uh, it's the vice president of the company I'm talking to, his name's Todd. And so I get chatting to Todd and uh, we're like laughing and I'm, you know, negotiating, like this isn't about money, it's, you know. And he says, well, listen, we've got spare parts that we bought at the same time in case we needed secondary parts. I'll build you a new one and you can have the sister to the original. And I was like, well, now we're talking. So it's been a three month process so far. I think we've got five months to go, like you said, because they got to put it together. They send me pictures of the body and everything. Like, I've, you know, I've got the body and, and we're going through it. Um, the whole thing is going to be a stupid amount of money and, and will probably end up being worth close to seven figures, if not seven figures by the time the whole thing's done. Um, and I'm, I'm over the moon. I'm super excited about it. But where this comes into the acquisition is the car's so unique that I have a, a publicist team and I'm already prepping them on writing articles about the sister to the other car. And there's going to be enough differences. One of the big differences is mine will have a roof. It will be the convertible um, uh, Shelby that they had. We've got the cloth roof and everything. So it will look different. Um, and, and of course, mine will be a lot more modernized than that one, the insides and everything. Because I want my creature comforts. Because the whole point is I'm not going to buy a new car every year. I'm just going to keep this car forever. That's the plan. And it appreciates in value every year. So you know, I'll always be able to sell it in the future if I want. I won't. But I'll be able to. Um, and so the whole point is this is my acquisition thing. So when I go to a car show, it won't just be a car at the car show. It will be the car at the car show. Now, in order to pull that off, I would have to already know the people that run the car show. So a year ago, in preparation for this strategy, I found the guy that organizes all the car shows in Texas where I live. And I helped him out with about two or three different problems he had. And now he knows me by name. So I'm going to contact him and ask him what it's going to cost me to sponsor his car shows and show off my car at his events. Now, I suspect, based on all the favors I've done him, it won't cost me anything. And he'll be happy just to show off my car, show, my car on the show on some kind of trailer that makes it look cool or what have you that my publicity team can get behind. Now, this is a, a twofold plan. Fold part A is create enough of a, a, an interest around it that my media team can run that in magazines to show off a cool car, specifically to increase the value of the car to guarantee that it goes up every year because it's so unique. In addition to generating interest from other people at the show that are likely to be prime targets for acquisition. Yeah. So it's a, it's a two-fold approach, but it, it shows what happens if you take a concept and really fulfill it because it's one thing to go to a car show. It's another to sponsor the car show and be the main car at the car show to drive the conversation to you to acquire that which you want. I will literally be asked by the owners of the car show itself and the press, what do you do for a living? And I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to respond. Oh, I'm always looking for businesses to acquire. <laughs> I get it. It's the peacocking, right? The the Neil Strauss peacocking, right? You're actually, is that what they called it? If I get the that name is, right? That's in the book. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. We, we, it's funny. In Dayton, we never did that. We were always against that. Uh, but in, in business, yeah, do it. <laughs> 
you know, I, people see me all the time. And they say, like, you, you wear kind of a uniform. Right? I'm prior military, so I'm always got a black shirt on. I've always got tan pants on or, or uh, black sweats if I'm you know running around here. I buy the same. I'm really boring in clothes. You ever see me go to a business networking or a high end event? You know, I have my Robert, uh, what do they call it, Mindavi. I have my $300 shirt and alligator boots. And it's just it's what I wear. I'm out and I want people to come up and talk to me. And uh, I have the ability to afford such things. I just don't find enjoyment in it. And uh, in the same realm as like, you, you shattered one of my myths. I always like people say, why don't you have high end cars or whatever? And the joke is, is because I think they depreciate in value. I drive an old beat up farm truck that, you know, has 300,000 miles on it when I'm in Oklahoma. Here I I I got a, you know I, I bought a car we're getting a car from one of the family members so I didn't want to bring it and we have an old Ford Focus they're horrible investments in my world but I love what you're doing with it and the fact that now you're using it as a lead generation so uh, um, my other problem with having high end cars is I have a tendency I'm an adrenaline junkie by previous trade raced motorcycles fought full contact for a while before I blew my knees out and got fat um, <laughs> had six knees knee surgery the uh, I mean I. I really, I, I like the adrenaline rush of things. So if I've got a car that says it goes 160 on the speedometer, I've got to see at least once, right? So, uh... <laughs> so I, I love that. And I'm, I'm with you. I agree. And I, I, it's funny you said it because I used to do martial arts as well. I still, actually, I still do. Um, so uh, so I, I get it. Um, but, but yeah, what I find fascinating is I live just down the road from the Austin F1 track. Oh, yeah. And another part of my acquisition strategy I'm going to ask them if they want to parade the car at the start of the F1 because it's silent and it will be really unique to see a classic Shelby driving around a track with silent sound. I'd seen two Teslas race on a YouTube video the other day and they were racing and it sounded like, like you know, that wind up sound when they were going <laughs> down, the, you could hear the stickiness of the road better than you could hear the engine as this thing went down on the videos. Like, you know, cause the, 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 they were on a drag strip <laughs> race and that was unique. Right. I like, I like watching this stuff, but, uh, no, the, the, the coolest thing I ever owned is, uh, I was, this is years ago and we're way off topic here, but I, I love this. So we're and it, and it will tie it back in here in a minute. I actually, um, I was, I was married once before I, I, I met my wife. Currently we've been married for about 17 years and, uh, We've been married for 15 and dating for 19. If she hears it, she'll correct me. So we've got to get it straight. Anyway, before that, um, I had old a Pathfinder I had on lease. I took it in to trade it in. And I was looking at the Corvettes that they had on the, on the, they had like the 50th anniversary or something. I forgot what year it was, but there was an anniversary Corvette and uh, it was about 65, 70 K was all it was. So I called her up and I told the wife at the time I was going to buy a truck. And uh, I called her up saying, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to get a truck. I think I'm going to buy a convertible Corvette. The, their anniversary series is out and I've always wanted one. And, uh, you know, she's, she gave me the old line. If you buy that stupid thing, I'm leaving, whatever, you know, you'll, we'll be divorced by, by the end of the month. So I got off there. Luckily for her, uh, I test drove it and I didn't, I wasn't comfortable, you know, and it's just it, some sports cars you are just really comfortable and you kind of fit in, they drive, they respond. It felt it felt like um, it felt like driving a freaking race car. It was real stiff, and I, and, I, and I've driven for adrenaline junkie stuff. I've driven race cars. I've raced motorcycles and dirt bikes mostly and stuff. But it just kind of had that feel to me. It just wasn't something I wanted to drive every day. It's something I'd want to go out and see how fast I could go in it. So I decided I wasn't going to get it. But because she said that, I had them custom build a truck. <laughs> so I bought a, a big, big white four by four custom truck with a Corvette Vortec engine. And there's a place in California that you can buy them off the short, uh, 
the showroom floor, floor and they'll go to the factory and you know I don't know how they pull it off, but they, you can pretty much ask them to do anything you want to one. So I bought a truck that had that motor in it, that high ZR, whatever it was motor in the time, uh, 550, 600 horse at, the, at that time was impressive. Anyway, uh, I paid s- almost 80 K about 78,000 for this truck. And I come home and it's lifted. I can't even get it in our garage because I lived in this high end <laughs> luxury apartment and it had one of those things. I had to park this thing outside. Right. And, uh, yeah, we ended up divorcing a couple of months anyway. So, uh, unfortunately at that time I couldn't afford the truck and her, the alimony I had a pair. So I ended up having to give them the truck back, which was cool because they loved it. They never came after him for any money or whatever, because I'd given them like 20 K down. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they ran that thing to auction and made a profit. I just called them up, said, look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pay this payment and my alimony at the same time and have a place to live here in California. But, uh, yeah, that's the coolest thing I ever had. I've had, I've had Harleys and some other stuff, but, uh, I have to see how fast things go, but I love how you're taking something that you're passionate about. You like and figuring out how do I make that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so now I have to go get a custom uh, chopper. Cause I've always, I wanted another bike and the wife's like, eh, it just doesn't make sense. If I can make it a lead generation for my business, then it's a business expense. Right. I mean, and if you think about it, the, uh, the guys that ride those choppers, especially on the road trips, they tend mm-hmm. to be all the successful business owners. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not looking to the, you know, it's funny as uh, when I'm in the acquisition mode, like doing big roll ups, I trim this way up because like, 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 they, people tease me. So you can't show up to an acquisition meeting looking like you should roll up on a Harley. I was like, look, I'd own a Harley if the wife wouldn't try to talk me out of it. So uh, <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a few in my life. I've actually rode from Virginia Beach to L.A. once just That's just awesome. because I could. So uh, eight and a half, nine days, just uh, rode from Red, uh, Virginia Beach to Redondo Beach. That's but, crazy. Uh, so let's jump back into the acquisitions and mergers. We're a little off track, but I just love that, you know, the out-of-box thinking. What else mm-hmm. out-of-the-box can somebody do if they're looking for deals? Uh, we had a business networking thing, and the biggest question people had is, where do I start? What, what, do I, what industry do I pick? Or, or how do I figure out, you know, what to buy? So what is yeah, your thought I, process? I think, you know, if, you mo- if you're motivated like me and it's like, I want to own this, that's fine. But you tend to make less profit. Um, they don't make as much. It has to be a passion thing. If if you just want money, it usually makes sense to pick some kind of industry that um, that is required. So like service-based industry, plumbing, electrician, something like that. And what's great is those kind of industries, the owners tend to be the tradespeople. They don't tend to understand the business. So they'll often be very happy um, to, to sell it on because they've got no plan. Once they quit, they retire. That's it. They shut down the business. The end. Um, some of them try to hand it over to people, but it doesn't tend to go well. You you can have a lot of luck by let's just say, for example, you find a plumber. You know, they're in their sixties. Um, they've got maybe an apprentice. The apprentice is quite new, not very good, and uh, but they've got a bunch of customers that are in town, and you can find a smaller plumber who's newer, and you can say to them, "Look, I'm planning on acquiring this this other company." would you be down to merge? And, uh, you know, I'll give you, this company is like three times bigger than yours. So I'll give you one third of the company. You'll do all the, the plumbing and I'll handle the marketing. Now you've got yourself a business partner. Um, you can get them to pay a third to get in. So you got, that can be your deposit. You can do two thirds on owner finance to pay out the, the, the bigger business over say five years. So they've still got revenue coming in. Um, they take the deposit 
which is one third from the new plumber that's coming in with you, the new plumber's now got access to a business three times larger than them, but they don't know how to use it. You do the marketing, you fix customer service, bring in a receptionist, get it all growing, maybe find some other small plumbing companies, consider a roll up, you know, <clears throat> put a training system in to train up that apprentice, et cetera, et cetera. Now you've got yourself something that, you know, maybe in year one, it's just paying back the original owner and you're not really making much, but two, three, four, as you get growth, you got some real cash flow coming in. And after you stop paying out on the fifth year, um, or maybe you negotiate to close sooner, and before you know it, you've now got a ton of money. So that's a great plan. The question is, how do you meet the plumber? Well, one easy way to do it is to just find uh, your trade shows, right? There'll be, there'll be a plumbing convention. Uh, there'll be an electrician's convention. And no one really wants to go to them. They're usually in like a little Sheraton hotel or something like that. So no one ever really wants to go. But you go along and they'll all be there. And they're not the exhibitors. They're the patrons. They're the ones walking around. And the way to do it is to actually become a panelist and be a speaker at the event. And the best thing to speak on is how to retire as a plumber and get paid for your business when you're the only employee. Because that's, that's tough. And in your 60s, when that's you, that's, that's what you're thinking about. You're like, well, how can I do this? And that's going to bring the right people in the room Maybe there'll only be 20 people in the room. You know, every, every other talk's got 200. Yours is tiny. But everyone in there is your target audience. You have eventually qualified for exactly what you're looking for. And now you can tell them the best way to do it would be to find somebody that's, you know, willing to, um, to do it on payment over time because you can't just leave tomorrow because the whole business shuts down. Um, and you, you talk them through it. Brilliant. Uh, I love the trade show thing. Uh, I had a real estate investment firm and one of the ways we'd find houses is any time of the, uh, the in town, they had the home and garden shows every year. So mm -hmm. people would go there to fix up their house, right? They'd walk around and meet landscapers and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm a big old guy right now. I'm 5'10", 350 on a good day, right? So I blow my knees out and gained all this weight. But uh, so I wear at least a 5X hoodie. So we made hoodies up for myself and my whole team that said, we buy, don't fix it, sell it. We buy houses. And we would just go to go to these trade shows and walk around and talk to the different vendors and stuff. And we'd get two or three, four or five leads every time we went from people going, hey, I've, I've got a house I'm trying to fix up. I might just sell it. What, how does this work? Right. And uh, I got in trouble once because we made these big balloons, probably the size. I don't know how like five, six times the size of a basketball. Right. Like a big balloons. And on the balloon, like he, we filled them up full of helium that said, don't sell it, fix it. We buy balloons, buy houses. We tied it to the back of our hoodie. So when we're walking around this huge, you know, you know, oh 200 God. vendor uh, trade show, there's these balloons above us that said this guy, you know, had an arrow, one of them said this guy buys houses. Right. It had a little arrow pointing down and stuff. And, uh, the, you know, the trade show said, yeah, you can't do that. You know, they run us off. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the gorilla marketing that, you know, what does it cost us? 35 bucks a hoodie, 40 bucks a hoodie, you know, for each of us to have one main, maybe 50. And then the balloons, you know, 10 bucks a piece. I think it was cheap to actually have balloons printed on. We found them online somewhere, you know. Great. So for 250 bucks, I had four of us walking around trade shows and we were getting deals like, you know, landing houses and stuff. I don't think you have to do that. It may be in the business buying realm. You might lose a little credibility if you try something cheesy. But uh, I love your idea of just being the speaker of the show, right? Thanks. Yeah, it, it works really, really well, um, yeah. you know, from, from my perspective. Um, and, you know, um, it, it might be a bit cheesy, but I've, I've seen people pull off cheesy as long as it isn't direct. I think you can go cheesy and indirect, 
or you can be serious and direct, right? So if I'm going to be a panelist, I can say, hey, I help people sell their, their business when they effectively are worth zero because if they quit, there is no business. Um, on the other hand, you can walk around with a giant balloon uh, that says after um, 1,900 companies that I've advised for in the last three years, maybe too much on a balloon, but you get the idea, um, <laughs> I'm looking to give free advice um, and, I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm an introvert that doesn't say hi, come talk to me. Yeah. Or may- yeah, maybe I'm an introvert that doesn't say hi, come talk to me. No, but trust me, I'm really smart. I don't know. I, I thought about doing it just like, you know, who, who buys businesses and have a little arrow that points down says this guy, right? And just yeah. like, then you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I just think, I think I agree. I think for acquisition, it would have to be less direct. You'd have to make yeah. it like not about buying businesses. So yeah, like I'm an introvert, but really smart. Say hi and see what I know. I think that's right. where I would go. So people come <laughs> up to go, oh, I love that idea. I'm like, yeah, I would never talk to anyone if I didn't have this. Um, <laughs> and it's easier to have a stupid balloon that I can't see. That makes people come and talk to me, and this is because I am an introvert at heart. I, I come across extrovert, but I'm an introvert, um, and I think something like that would really work. And uh, you know, it's funny is uh, I end up knowing one of the guys that owns that trade show now, so that I, I didn't because I'm friends with him. I never pulled those stunts after he took over, but we still wore <laughs> our hoodies, but we didn't try the balloons or anything like that. Yes. So the other well, thing I, we used to do, I used to I've raised money at crazy stuff like that. Uh, uh, when we were raising money for. Um, for our real estate investment group, we would go to the, the uh, boat shows and I'm talking Oklahoma has boat shows where they have 150 foot yachts of these things. I don't, I think they turn them and take them to grand Lake, which is one of our biggest lakes. And they sit there and just spin circles. Like they just turn the thing around and turn around. Cause I don't know how, <laughs> like these things are like, they're full blown multi-million dollar yachts and, and they're yeah, at the trade show, but we would go there, you know, and we would dress up, you know, and stuff like that. But we'd often have uh, our, our hoodies that said, you know, uh, real estate investors seeking, seeking, or real estate, you know, investors, you know, seeking other investors or, you know, something, I forgot what it said, but basically it said, we we're looking for money. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I have no business, you know, you're walking through these guys and they're buying multi-million dollar boats and you're wearing a hoodie that says, you know, put your money in real estate, talk to me. I think that's what it said. Um, you know, and people go, Hey, I've always thought about real estate. What do you know about real estate? You know, like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I think that's great. I actually, I, I love the, I love the idea. You just give me a, an idea that I'm going to attempt as well. I am, um, I'm running a, I'm speaking at the Traffic and Conversion Summit this year. Oh yeah, uh, I'm on the cool. main stage. Thanks. I'm super excited about it. Um, I've been trying to speak. I mean, I was there on the first event, and so it's a big deal for me. It, I spoke last year, but just for five minutes this year, they give me a whole hour, and um, so because of that, I've decided to get a trade booth. So I've got a massive booth, and I've been designing it. Um, and I've got a whole bunch of ways to make it stand out. But it occurred to me, they might not be okay with me walking around with helium balloons, but they might let me attach them to the booth. So I'm just, uh, I, I just made a note to tell my team, hey, see if we can attach giant helium balloons to the booth. Um, you know, now they have these helium balloons, just so you know, there's, there's these really cool helium balloons that are remote controlled. So they're not on a string and they're, they're kind of like a, Look at look this up because you can have them printed on this stuff, and they'll hover in a certain spot, like that are I don't know if they have a GPS in them or something, or they'll fly a certain pattern. But you can have it like if it's moving, like our natural human instinct, and you you'll get this from uh, all the dating stuff you do. There's a lot of stuff that's just natural. Motion attracts eyes. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. a uh, anti predator predator uh, thing that we have psychologically. I seen one of your thing your uh, companies has to do with uh, human psychology, right? Yep. So that. 
so motion, I think if you could get it to move around, even if it's just like, you know, that's like the dancing goofy guy. If you get something to move the balloon around and cause motion up there, people will, will just naturally have to look up and make sure it's not, you know, a pterodactyl coming down to eat them. So, uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's a great freaking idea. Love that. Cool. So, man, uh, uh, just there's so many things. We're at 40 something minutes. Let's, let's make sure people know how to get a hold of you. What are you interested in? Why would somebody contact you if they've got something? What are you looking for in this world, man? Yeah, I mean, at this point, um, I, I'm kind of a big fan of like, you know, um, help others. And then, you know, reciprocity kicks in and, and kind of like kicks back. Um, I actually wrote an entire huge blog post that breaks down like a lot of our methodology of once we acquire a business, how we grow it. If someone's listening to this and you know they want to grow their business or make make more money, um, it's free. You don't you don't even have to opt in. You can just like go to it. Um, if you're cool with it, I'll give my personal cell phone. You can text me, and uh, I've got a mini automation when somebody texts me. It is me. It's not like some kind of weird short code number, but I put an automation on for the legality of data collection. Um, so that's a pretty cool thing, but. Uh, my phone number is 512-957-3141. It's the Austin area code, uh, yep. 512-957-3141. And uh, you just send me a text message, just say hi. You know, maybe let me know a little bit about yourself. You know, if you actually just say hi, I won't know who you are. Um, and then um, you'll go through the mini automation and uh, just request the, the link. And I'm more than happy to send you this breakdown. Um, it's how we do time management in a new company, how we hire, fire, um, how we uh, work out whether the offer is there. Uh, and I'm, I'm more than happy to give that to people. I find in podcasts, um, it's a bit easier to have like a real personal connection because your phone number isn't like on the internet. You know, it's like, uh, it's someone kind of has to watch 45 minutes, right? To, to get it. So <laughs> I, can put it, I can put it in the show notes if you want. I, I think I yeah, actually yeah, gave I'm, me I'm, a number, a 21470. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this, so they gave me that number and that's in the show notes right now, but I can switch it up and actually have my assistant put your other number in the show notes, whatever you want in Something. there. Yeah, that'd be great, man. I'd appreciate it. So that's that. Um, on like every social media site, I'm at the Adam Lyons, T H E Adam Lyons, um, and uh, and yeah, and then you can just go to thesmartblueprints.com. A whole bunch of free assets on there. Go get them. Uh, we do a, a website analysis. We'll analyze your website and uh, you know let you know how your offer looks from our point of view, um, and uh, you know how profitable we think you are, and uh, take it from there. Awesome, man. I really appreciate all this. Um, what is if you if, if you could leave somebody with like one or two takeaways from the show, what would you what would you say? I mean, what's the uh, like what would what would you want somebody to know of Adam Lyons and what he can provide for you? Or yeah, I think I, I think the the real thing that I, I specialize in is um, lifetime value, um, not calculating it but increasing it. You know, there, there are really only two ways to make more money, and it's either sell something that you've already developed to a bunch of new customers, which seems to be how most people think it's done. But the smart companies, they focus on selling something brand new to people who trust them. And um, in the, you know, Forbes did an article, in the companies that offer upsells, something like 70 to 80% of all revenue comes from upsells. When you imagine there are so many companies out there that have a single product and they struggle and if they only had a sequence of upsells, the revenue would go through the roof. In, in some of our highest markets, our lifetime value is in 30,000 plus and growing because of our, our method. And if I list to you the most successful companies in the world, they all have an upsell sequence from uh, you know, Amazon to Apple, Nintendo. You know, we think of these big classic brands, Nike. 
that have been around a long time. They're constantly upselling you. Uh, McDonald's, you want fries with that. Everything these companies do is about upsells. And yet, whenever I meet new entrepreneurs or even people doing acquisitions, they're so worried about what has happened in the company over the last three years. Whereas the only thing I want to know is, have you had a full upsell strategy? If not, do you have buyers that are happy and actively buying? Because if you've got a good buyer base who like the product and you do not have optimized upsells and lifetime value, I know I can come in, run some customer insight reports, identify uh, exactly what else they want to be sold, develop it, affiliate it, joint venture it, sell it to them, and the revenue goes through the roof because there's no acquisition cost. So that's the big thing. And if, if you think like that, you can do anything. And even, even the car I'm buying is, is on the same concept. You know, I'm, I'm analyzing how much it's going to cost me. Like I said, not, not seven figures, but we're getting up there. Um, if that gets me a business in a year, it was worth it. So the car's Absolutely. free. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I guess your uh, acquisition cost or your uh, customer acquisition cost is sunk into a single event. But um, uh, what is it? What is the word I'm looking for? Um, not the reluctant hero or something, but you're, you're the center of focus when you take that somewhere. That is like that's that's going to cause people to talk, cause people to, you know, you know, ask questions. I, I'm a, I love ca- plastic cars. I pull up beside somebody and like, and they're driving an old convertible, right. you know, something I'm like, Oh man, cool car. Did you build it yourself? Did you buy it? Like I'll chat with them. Right. You ch- uh, people with classic yeah. cars get chatted up. So, uh, and, and it's just, that's just going to happen. So, um, yep. you know, that's you the plan. To- and I, I know that with Maserati because people do come and stop me and talk to me about it. But as time goes by and the car gets older, less and less people do it. Whereas right. the classic car, it, it, it's got the classic body. It's that's the key. Yeah. So uh, awesome, man. Um, we're, I don't even know where to go from here. I'm having a blast. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the clock one, man, we're running out of time. Um, what would you say of your top three tips for actually having somebody grow their business? Right. I mean, if you. Yeah, actually, that that's easy. Um, we have. Uh, on average, at the moment, the last couple of years, 600,000 companies a year in America uh, shut down with an added 200,000 on top of that for COVID-related shutdowns, which is crazy. 800,000 businesses um, approximately in 2021 shut down in America. Um, what's fascinating to me is there are three major reasons that account for the majority of all of those shutdowns. And when I stand in front of thousands of business owners and I say, tell me the reasons, they can't answer them. And I'm not surprised that you have a qualification in marketing because you listed the number one reason at the beginning of the show. Because to you, it's clear and obvious because you've studied it. But most business owners, what I call accidental business owners, myself included, unless you've sat down and actually studied it, you don't know. And the three major things that will shut down your business um, in reverse order is number three, you don't have the right team. Number two, you don't have a cash flow system. It's not sales, it's a system. And lastly, there's no product demand for what you're selling, which is the biggest of all. When I go into a company, the three things I assess is, one, do they have a good team and that the team toxic or they're actually doing stuff? Two, do they have a system of cash flow that nets positive? Three, do people want what they're selling? Right. And 
that's how I fix any business. That's how I've managed to help 1900 companies. Cause I have people all the time. How do you help 1900 companies? So I start by sitting down and being like, there are three things here. Do you suffer from any of these problems? And if they say yes, I say, great. Within five years, you have a 50% chance of shutting down because that's the, the numbers. It's like 49.85% chance of shutting down within five years if one of those problems persists. You have to it, stop all three. I, you know, when I was doing the marketing coaching thing and, and one of the things that I was shocked to find is people really undervalue their own loyal customers. Meaning that like I, I had a couple of customers you know clients of mine and i was like you know what do your customers think of you oh they absolutely love us man you no know, they, they they chat us up they bring us referrals all the time and stuff and i like they sell them one thing and i was like do you understand that these people if they really if you're if, you're, if they're that loyal and they really love what you do and they love your customer service almost anything you set in front of them if they need it they're going to get it because they you've already got that their eye their heart their trust what do you, why aren't we looking at something else that, that fits there? Well, I know how to make the gidget, you know, the gidget widget, right? That I know how to make X. I don't know how to make anything like that. And uh, so I think that's one of the biggest things I think that can straighten out some of these cash flow issues and stuff like that is like, you know, who do you have in your customer base that are just love you so much that if you, you know, if you painted a banana pink and told them it was yours, they would buy it, Right. Uh, it has to be awesome. You created it. And almost every company, if they're not out there really messing up, has at least some of their customer base that are just that loyal and that, you know, you know, into them. I agree. Cool. Man, we're running out of time here and, and, and <laughs> we're going to have to cut this off. I absolutely love this. I love, you know, catching things. I, I watched a lot of stuff where you're on the stage. I'm on your newsletter and stuff. Uh, if you guys are out there, uh, hunt him down, get on his newsletter. It's just packed full of stuff. Um, his, his site, you know, you just, you put out a lot of content. Uh, you're a, a man a, a, after my own heart. I'm a real big believer. The reason I do this podcast and everything else lead with value, right? Uh, when I get off of every phone call, I actually do a self-evaluation. Did I add value to that guy's life or did I waste the freaking time? Right. And we just exchanged, you know, you know, you know, exhausted air, you know, bad smelling breath and then not got, not get anything done. And it impacts me if I can't think of like how I added value to others. And I really see that in you. So I want to, I want to acknowledge you for that and appreciate what you're doing for, for the communities of business owners and stuff out there. And people really need to, to, to catch on to what you're up to. Um, a lot of people have heard of the, you know, the G. Conrad Livingston's and the, uh, you know, Jay Abraham's and that stuff of the world. But uh, I mean, you're up there, out there and, and you know, start speaking on the same stages as these guys and have that and have just really great info. So, uh, and you know, I, I think you're a little bit of an un, uh, unacknowledged uh, uh, warrior out there that, you know, I don't, I know you've been on a lot of shows and a lot of, you know, TV stuff, but uh, um, you know, I, I can't save enough. Uh, you know, not too many times I get people on the show where I'm kind of the, the fanboy type of thing. Oh, I got Adam on the call. So I appreciate you having you here, man. And uh, this was fun. I really enjoy this. Um, I picked up some Thank stuff you, I'm going to try and use. Uh, my wife gets back here in a few minutes. I might talk her into seeing if I can't buy something, but uh, she'll probably tell me no. <laughs> <laughs> I have too like little. If I can help you with anything, just ping me, reach out, okay? All right, cool. Uh, hang out for a second, and we're going to end the show. And uh, that's it, guys. Thank you for being on the show, and uh, we have a great day. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. 
That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to TIEPM.com. That's T I E. PM.com and check out the Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind.